Okay, so we got uh, another big lab meet. This will be the second um, Indigenous Knowledge Systems Lab um, session, think tank session that we're uh, sharing with the, sharing with the world. House, drawing together some ideas, following on from our last one, uh, trying to figure out how we can make our um, the metrics for our uh, extinction offsets idea work uh, across the various projects and programs that we're uh, playing around with uh, between here and in the United States and all over the shop. Um, so Jack Manning, Bancroft here, Bunjilung, Mob Charles Marshall, Gumbungi Nation, Josh Waters, Gumilroy, Naya Wick, Tyson here, and we are ready to roll and get the session going. Um, and we always start with with the law, the LORE side of things. Um, coming in with story and settle us in place. Um, and this could be, sometimes we get uh, JD will sing us in. Um, he's not here yet. You might call him from an Uber after. So um, you know, might come in and just share story, you know, where we finished up. Um, you know, we, we kind of seem to be following a bit of a, a platypus song line here as we start to think about these uh, indicator species um so yeah any platypus or other um you know fragile indicator species around the place that you've got story for um we can bring bring us all around the fire together here with uh, any any riffs we have on story if that takes the full hour then so be it but uh let's see yeah, get the business right first yeah that last um Last yarn we were in when we were just kind of so platypus is like Janban is my family totem and um, you know part of what is such a gift of being in this labs is just having all this knowledge like always like layered upon you every time you're learning something more and learning about um, how it, how that species moves and you know we've been I think one of the things we were wrestling with last time was exploring this tension between culture indigenous knowledge and then systems and sort of this maybe circle in the middle around processes and where does process land or, or how does that work as we think about nature and we're bouncing around keystone species and indicator species and trying to think about how you anchor yeah that that economic worth on modeling around um around that and yeah it was it was cool to sit back off like during that last yarn and just sort of think about that little platypus you know like cruising around in this big ecosystem and often wherever you put your attention kind of helps you like you can see the system when you get to like one element of it and you really focus around it, it can help illuminate it and so I think going in and thinking about that life of that platypus 
you can start to draw all these threads off it, the waterways and how healthy the water is. So you can think about like how healthy the trees are nearby, how happy the kids are that are maybe playing nearby or what that might look like. I thought that was, that stayed with me from last week. I don't know about you, Joshy and Chels, what was floating around with your... Yeah, I think I mentioned last week it was there's a lot of um, places that I, I know uh, across society and across different research domains which are now looking at um, platypus story as and, and if we look through indigenous um, storying lenses and uh, and narratives, uh, it kind of follows this pattern of the emergence of a third space through. Um, the interaction between two completely separate species. Um, and I think that's a generally a, a cultural, the ways that cultural um, narratives regarding platypus kind of happen for us within Gamilaroi. Um, and I think some some neighboring areas, there's, it captures this essence of wrong, wrong storying and wrong relationships and bad way, um, wrong way marriages. Um, but I can kind of see that there's inevitabilities around um, things interacting within the world and, and within different societies and ecologies which do sort of produce those emergent outcomes um, through those relatively simple interactions um, at um, submergent sort of states. Uh, so I, I know that it kind of sits within that domain from a cultural perspective and that that's something that I kind of take into account and so popularly in, in accordance with what's sort of happening in all those different spaces that I mentioned before. Um, you've got these uh, these so-called sp third spaces, which are kind of inclusive of different worldviews and different perspectives, whether they're Western worldviews or whether they're cultural worldviews and, and how they can kind of mix and interact. And there's a lot of different metaphors that exist across many different countries um, as well for that. You've got the Laganma um, in sort of top end of the mixing of the salt and fresh waters and, and how they come in and, and sort of dance around together to create um, these, these new environments and habitats. Um, there's examples of that all across country. And I think that's um, that platypus story and, and even the expression of the platypus as a species and as, as a physical um, concept and, and everything that it brings to ecologies is important to acknowledge within those processes too. And I know Chelsea's got the story around that as well so um another example there yeah i think um <laughs> my my story was more deviating off onto this other realm but um... take us there <laughs> let's always deviate to the other realm please surely so it was more so about the um yeah in context is putting your and it involves the emu as well um and and putting Putting things out there that you know you, you know uh, in reality are, you know, could happen, but when they don't, you've sort of talked them up so much that you know there's no way coming back from it, um, and that you know once it's out there, it's sort of you know it, it's out there, and then that that shame that came with it and not being able to to return into that space. And I suppose when you look at you know our global context at the moment. Yeah, it's, it sort of is reflective of that where, you know, you've got lots of people in leadership, um, you know, forcing this, you know, what I would call a very outdated and, and broken machine of um, 
systems and functions and governance um, that are not really suited to the future we're moving into, especially when it's around, you know, these environmental variables that we're still not sure, you know, um, of, you know, how, the, how that's going to unfold. But I think what resonated with me from last week was basically the whole, um, as Joshi was touching on there, the, the physical and biological makeup of the platypus as a species, how it's got all these uh, different components that are, it's almost like a Frankenstein um, machine. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, it's made up all, of all these really cool different components of other really cool species. So we talked about, you know, it's, it's bill and how it forages and, you know, it, it has that disruption mechanism um, when it's in uh, billabongs feeding. Um, even the style of its feeding, what it looks like physically, the fur, the spur, um, yeah, just all those different components. And it, and it made like this, this entity that is just sits there awesomely. And then it's like, okay, well, what are all these other different components that we build into this uh, platypus theory? Um, so I think that sort of resonated and still thinking about that sort of stuff as well, obviously. Well, I spent a lot of years following that platypus story, following that songline, and um, you know, right from from Narran Lake, uh, sitting down with the mole people there, um, and God bless them, the Barkers before they pass away, um, those old fellows there, um, and following it at Bathurst Orange, you know, does that dog leg there, uh, there at Flat Rock, and. Um, and then, yeah, it goes out to so many places from there, including, you know, all the way up then to Coranda, where that songline sort of finishes there, that really big big story place there up near Cairns, far north Queensland. Um, <clears throat> and I don't know, the thing that's always struck me about it is how it just starts in, in the most unspeakable horror. You know, it's it starts in... Um, you know, with people who disrupt a system so horrendously and commit the worst possible crimes um, and, you know, the result of these crimes that they commit um, is this kind of mutated entity that has no place in the world, you know. But then it's over the deep time of those travels and those songlines there. It's over that deep time that story, you know, comes in until this becomes just such an amazing species in everything that's that's just central to the ecosystem and the culture and the governance, you know, of place. Um, you know, platypus goes so far and is central to so many of our economies and, and, and our systems and ways of being. You know, it's a beloved sort of thing now, but it started out wrong way. So that's got to give you some hope for, you know, when you think how can we reverse thing? Is it possible to take such a horrendous monstrosity of a system like the economic system we're looking at here and how, how do you i mean is it possible i mean does it have to be a do-over you know does the entire system have to be smashed and then something completely new have to take its place or is it like well it, it is possible to change this thing and turn it into something else well, I, which yeah, is I not something i believe actually I, I i don't think it can like you know personally i like uh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm quite opposed often, but that's only ideologically and emotionally, you know, to the idea that, um, you know, that, <laughs> that you know, something this horrendous can be reformed. Um, but I have to keep myself open to the idea. So that's what Platypus does for me. Well, um, I'll, I'll jump in as a, 
as a rep of the platypus in that moment you set it up um yeah i think one of the things that gives me the most hope um being a mashup and a misfit is when i do look at the the current financial model and, and look specifically into places like how we've developed our investment portfolios how we've developed our products around um, gdp how we've thought about what we value what looks like it's busted and the most exciting thing from a design systems perspective are the processes and i think that was a piece that was like in that yarn with fridge of capra ties like that was one of the things that like gave me hope was that life is inherently creative you know that it either breaks down or it breaks through and, and we see with the platypus again and again that the question up for grabs isn't necessarily whether there'll be life on earth like until 6.5 billion years from now when the sun eats mama earth like there'll be life here it'll just be whether humans are here and in what relation we have and that's also like in in lots of ways kind of takes the pressure off like we're not here to save the earth we're here to work out whether we can have healthier processes with earth and and that's what i think is is potentially the intersection of where indigenous knowledge systems can inform um economic systems can inform those patterns and and um broader relational systems to to think about where we're putting our attention and that's that's also like what's what excites me like um, an economy isn't just the money that we pass on to each other. It's our time. Like, where are we looking? And I, I think so often, like, if we're looking up to the stars or we're looking down at the ground or we're looking back over our shoulders and carrying our ancestors with us, if we're thinking a few generations ahead or we're thinking a few generations back, like, that's a really healthy economy. Um, you know, what we haven't yet done is anchor that in, in a deep connection with finance. And we haven't necessarily, I don't think, anchored our relation with nature, which is probably... You know, Chelsea, when you said, like, what did you say? Like, um, it's the original cloud, like we invented the cloud or something, you know, um, that, that, that stayed with me so much because I think that if we think about nature, like maybe what we're, the trickery is, is at the moment, like we're kind of looking at each other and going, oh, what's the exchange between humans? No, it's the exchange between humankind and nature. It's the exchange between us as a custodial species and nature and that's what we haven't worked out yet. And I feel like those processes, that's where I see hope. Yeah, that's what I was saying to you this morning, Jack, that, um, you know, it's like everything we learn in our institutions is, is knowledge without relation. And then everything we learn online is relation without knowledge. And, but, you know, basically what Indigenous knowledge is, indigenous knowledge systems is knowledge in relation you know it's part of that you know, term, that irreducible wholeness in which all things are in relation mm. and in which you you find your you navigate your your narrative path you know through that complex web of relations um you know according to that law that you belong to so i mean you know that's how that's how yeah so that's why we have to open with connecting with this story uh, connecting with that law side of things, making sure we're in place in that way um, to make sure that the knowledge we're talking about is is in relation and that there's an agreed sort of narrative path that we have through the topic. So is there anything um, anything else we'll want to add into that to bring us in around the fire? Um, I guess to reach a, an agreement as to whether we've, whether we've come around it yet or not, in which case we have to stop and keep working towards that before we can jump into the topics. Josh, you got anything? Nah, I think um, the, just the just kicking off the yarn and 
entering into the discourse the way that we have I sort of felt like we were already around the fire and that we were kind of situating ourselves in some of those different uh cultural domains um and I think that's that really ties back into your point that you just made around the navigational narratives and the what you I think called it the narrative path um you can't we can't deny the importance of story in all of this because and the diverse perspectives around the stories because it informs all of our relations to um to platypus in this instance but all of the complex um sort of meta narratives that that are situated within the yarns as well um and i think over the course of sharing those insights and those ideas um that's where the bigger yarn will be constructed if we're all sort of putting a log on that fire as jd would would put it um yeah hopefully something bigger will come from that and, and we'll start to make sense of that as we sort of go along so we're, we're sort of around the fire but we're not um but yeah Different. Well, I think Just, final word on that has to be Chels because um, because women own own that fire. All we've ever done is steal it. So, um, yeah, Chels. So, <laughs> do we have enough warmth to continue? I I would say yes, given how well, obviously, given firstly the relationship that's yeah surrounding the fire through through Jack and others. Um, and the story of the platypus, but then also that that um, you know perceived unusualness of it, um, you know, in its in its makeup and its and its and its role and function you know, in the ecosystem, and you know the, the the as I was saying before, like you know using um, or you know drawing on those sort of uh, relations to then have a look at okay well is, is this something that we can flip invert um mutate you know what, what's the next part of that process so i think we're we're definitely there and we're moving closer to it it's now i think following up on uh what jack was talking about well okay well what's what's that next sort of um what's down the path you know what's that next um part of part of the contextual um story that that comes along that talks about the the processes involved um, well, we we acknowledge our global relations in, in this because uh, uh jack and i are coming off that trip back from turtle island so we're going to pay our respects to all old people from there um out in the united states we were in that uh, new york sort of state there we were hanging out and uh, doing doing all this work and um, hanging out with financial gurus and, and trying to figure some stuff out there. Uh, so pay our respects back that way. And the country that sort of nurtured us there. <laughs> well, the kookaburra is singing outside as you're talking. So that's always a good sign that we're sweet. We're yeah. Well, you know, so um, yeah, honor all those connections that way. Um, we all have relationships with people uh, from across the Atlantic there. And yeah. Um, so I guess we begin there. That's where the story begins, uh, probably for this. Yeah, I, I, for I this think it's the ignition for the fire to start, and mm. we've just got a position around it. I think. Yeah, yeah, we've got to acknowledge we're bringing a lot of a lot of different people here, and, and there are there are people from the lab who are not here as well. Um, <clears throat> and you know, um, you know, and, and of course, all the elders who hold all of our uh, business for us. 
and sort of tend to keep us safe and, and uh, pull us up. Um, so yeah, we need to acknowledge all of that and feel that. And um, that's something we were talking about this morning. Uh, like, you know, just, just trying to like um, uh, outline for people, you know, what it is, what it is. Uh, you know, indigenous knowledge and indigenous processes of inquiry, how they work. And it's, I was talking about it being that you're always situated in that deep time focus that you're situated in, you know, you're drawing down on knowledge and, and respect from all ancestors going way back. Um, but at the same time, and equally just as important, all those descendants going forward. So you are always right in the middle of all your ancestors and descendants. And it's funny because those ancestors give you the law, but weirdly it's your descendants that give you your ethics because your ethical protocols are coming from, you know, um, the obligations that you have to those who aren't born yet. Uh, so it goes forward in that way. Um, and I, I guess we'll just uh, continue in that, uh, in the spirit of that. So we were in New York and that, that place did look after us quite well. Mm. And, um, yeah, and so we're with uh, uh, Johnny Mayer and Co. in at Ethic Investing. They're being hosted by them for the week in uh, a couple of weeks there in a, in those offices and you know meeting with you know all the people with you know, Melinda Gates money and um, you know I I can't remember all the other ones but all was the, lots of money 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 <laughs> yeah proper money proper money um yeah and going through and just learning like there was that moment we that was showing you um the mathematics behind um how they rate how they rate different kinds so in ethical investing a lot of it's based around this kind of rating that you get that's kind of like i don't know you know how there was uh you know with the global financial crisis they had all those triple a ratings for the mortgage bundles and stuff you know, saying that they were really good and safe and everything. <laughs> um, it's kind of like it's calculated in the same mm, sort of weird and unaccountable way. And Jack was looking at it and saying, this is year nine mathematics. Mm. This is year nine mathematics, the way they're calculating, like, uh, you know, um, whether a company is, 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 a, is an ethical company or sustainable company in terms of, you know, um, environment and, and social justice and all, all the rest. Um, and they were kind of these really arbitrary categories where you'd assign like a, an arbitrary value based on an opinion and then work it out from that with some, uh, with some 14 year old maths. So um, that's, that's where we were up to there. And, and then, uh, you know, trying to build on our previous conversations about, um, you know, how you might make these, uh, what we cheekily call the extinction offsets, how you make an extinction offsets scheme work. How do you calculate value? How do you, how do you identify units of value in natural systems where humans are embedded in that in human cultures? How do you, how do you calculate, well, like how do you identify what the units of value are and then how do you assign value to those units? Um, in order to, you know, offset all these investments that people might make, you know, and provide, you know, credits and things like that, that people can speculate on and trade with. Um, these were the things we were struggling with. In our first, in our previous yarns, we were, 
all, it was all about the ethical side of whether or not we should even engage with that. And where we've ended up with is that we have to engage with it. So here we are engaging. And um, yeah, where do we finish up? What's our best way into it? Yeah, one, one of the things that struck, struck me um, in, in that process and then in the last like probably like a couple of months of, of really trying to think about nature, um, which is sort of the central question we're looking at like with ethic is like what's our relationship with nature and is there a way where there's a, you know, we can centre our relationship with nature. So like a happy, healthy life um, for the natural world is not just some externality or offset or it's not just about preservation or buying the, um, the lot of land and leaving it there. And there are all these things that have kind of unfurled along the way, like Taishi saying, you know, the healthy land is when humans are on the land, like we're a custodial species. So we shouldn't just have cities and like unoccupied land. So that then changes this whole potential economic relationship with landlessness of like, all right, are we going to find a way to get people, incentivize people to get back on the land? So that was one of the threads that opened up. Or the other one I was thinking as you're saying, as you were young before, Tice, about like where you're going and where you're from. And it, it comes back to what you said, Charles, around like the, um, you know, when we were yarning about that, the cloud is I think that like still we have yet to, as a species, really like anchor our relationship to nature. And, and I think Indigenous systems have probably done the best of what I've seen, like, and be able to go, no, there is genuine real relational value, economic value in how we move. And so there's our ancestors, people, and, and then our knowledge access from nature, like that's the storage, that's the libraries. So our ancestors have planted the knowledge in the animals, in the stars, in the song lines, in the rivers. And often I like, I've, you know, when you're explaining Indigenous systems, people kind of like glaze over and it'll be like you're talking about um, year nine algebra, which is obviously more interesting to design some financial products. Um, but the this specific like space, when you start to think, think about time before humans, humans after, and nature is almost like the, like the library and, and that's the storage place. That's the place that holds the knowledge for us. Like, it's not, um, you know, with Rome gone, like it's the land that's there. It's the, it's the people that live there. The stories come back through them. We end up in nature. And, and that maybe I think like as, you know, the governance systems and models and looking at things like we answer to nature and like nature will decide like if we keep having life here, like ultimately that's going to be, there's a much more significant powerful force in us. So, yeah, that's been staying with me a lot of thinking about the library. And then we got asked, like, maybe this is another question. So take any of the threads and you all know that I operate in too many tangents sometimes. But the last thought was posed to us around the Okavanga Delta as a, um, as a body of water and, and this big, like, uh, baseline for all this, this habitat and species. And that, you know, if the Okavanga Delta gets fracked, um, that will release the same amount of carbon into the atmosphere as all the world's targets in one year. So one of the ideas we had like quickly was like, oh, is there, do you make it that, that river a citizen or do you work out how they're the board directors for humanity or do you work out how they're now the places where wealth can go and all we can, you know, all our intellectual property from a lifetime of work, maybe we give it to the Okavanga Delta or my mum's art goes to the Okavanga Delta or it goes to the bunyanut trees or maybe we could find a way for nature to start taking its equal 
status alongside humans. And that is the battle for equality, perhaps. And, and then you're moving like, yeah, like the, the trick. Yeah. Basically, what we're trying to do is, is come up with a mathematical or financial trick to make the powerful give a shit about um, about actually letting everything live past the end of their lives. You know, um, that that's that's you know, if you once you strip every all the paint and feathers off it, that's 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 what we're left with. And so that's what we're struggling with. How do you incentivize people to leave those fossil fuels in the ground and not displace 10 million people in the Okavango Delta and destroy like one of the kidneys of Africa, you know, um, which also just feed into so many global systems that would be so horrendously disrupted if that was destroyed. How do you do that? How do you make it worth people's while? Um, so basically in the end, how can we ensure that rich people can continue to make trillions of dollars off leaving that stuff in the ground and looking after that place and valuing it? Um, that's the trick. So that's what we're looking at is how do we develop financial instruments where people can keep uh, you know, printing a whole heap of new zeros um, on a screen somewhere um, on, the, on their balance um, out of doing that. So yeah, this is what we want to try and figure out. Uh, this is the trick. <clears throat> so where do we get up to the, with that? <laughs> we have some we have some interesting ideas. Um, yeah, particularly around what to measure. So I mean, we did spend a, a fair bit of time talking about well, would we measure? Um, would we be measuring? You know, uh, a keystone like we spent a while on keystone species, with that idea of radical indigenism as a way in. Uh, as a design principle coming into there and we're looking at the keystone species and what might be measured there but then we i don't know at the end of our last discussion we figured out that i mean we, we arrived at a place where a keystone species is not a good measure of the health of a system it does measure the relationship of people with that system and the strength of that relationship and so that's one indicator perhaps but chelsea you were talking about no no the best species are the indicator species which is what leads us to the platypus story to, to kick off this yarn, is that um, you know the the best indicator are the what we call indicator species. So maybe um, um yeah, even even looking at least to, to the um, keystone species, um, and then the indicator, even you know, possibly it could be a whole suite of the whole sort of lot of them around. Um, and I don't know, maneuvering them somehow so that each one of them takes up a, a value system in, in, in that sort of I don't know, values um, matrix. Um, and then applying you know, the, the, the monetary or financial value to, the, to those indicators in the matrix. And yeah, in some instances, you're gonna have indicators that you know, are inclusive of whole communities or whole ecosystems. Um, well, your indicator species are like quite vulnerable species. It's like you know the ones that, if if in your creek and river system that the platypus have disappeared, you know, like you know there's trouble. You know, everything else oh, might be, be seeming to go along quite well, but it's it, yeah, it's these yeah. indicator species. They're low enough in the stack to indicate that a whole system is in a state of collapse if they disappear. You know, um, and that that's the thing. So we're trying to figure out well, what are the metrics and what are what are the maths of being able to measure and track systems health? Because at the moment, all we have is things like you know offsets for one gas, 
or you know offsets for one uh for water like it'll be one substance that's being measured or uh you know so it'll be one aspect of the system that's measurable that people can track and um you know so do we do that do we just identify you know indicator species in different spots and then that's it we track them um but that i mean there's a lot of other ideas here too you were talking about a lot of a lot of different data sets that we could use um you know within all of that but then there's that uh, relational stuff that comes into it <laughs> where yeah and i think yeah even though you know the dungi koala it's one of our very important story line species and keystone species here it's like there's that relational context so if you've got you know what people deem as a as a you know not so furry cuddly sort of species that you know they tend to get less attention and that's that yeah relational and that's why a lot of people get a bit funny because they go oh koalas they get so much attention and everyone loves koalas and koalas this and koalas that but yeah my simple answer just sidelining a bit is like you save you save one koala you save a koala forest you save every single species that exists in that in that forest and that tree um and yeah that tree then belongs to a whole catchment and a, and a whole other ecological process that eventually yeah flows all the way down into the rivers the creeks and the ocean and that provides clean water clean air clean everything so yeah it's, it's that it's that sort of stuff around thinking and um but yeah, you know, getting back to this, then that human uh, context that then gets inserted in that re human relational context around, you know, there might be a whole community that, that absolutely, you know, loves a, a cute and furry and good looking little animal. Whereas, you know, the same thing I think applies to, um, what's that animal? The pendolin. Is it the pendolin? Pangolin, yeah, yeah. I'm sure everyone hates that thing. Um, it's the same as you know, like when uh, we had an outbreak of like Lassie virus and Hendra virus, etc. Yeah, you know, every single person absolutely hated the uh, flying fox or the the fruit bat. Um, so then, yeah, there's that that human context that then comes on to relational and relationship with with other kin. Um, so I think we need to be considering that context as well somewhere in that in that metric of evaluation. How, one of the things that fascinates me is how you go from the preservation of the saving, like it, which is we seem to have found a way towards that. Like when something gets towards the end of its life, we're like, okay, we see the value. Yeah, ooh, ooh, the, quick, yeah, save it. Yeah, the life is it won't die. And so then, then we backwards map. So we kind of go, it won't die. And then we almost tell the story backwards. And now because it hasn't died, now the forest is as it should have been what i'm fascinated in is how do you find the like the the financial instrument and the tool that looks at that measurement around like whether it's you know the the koala like trade um credit on the stock exchange is like oh koalas are, are booming and investors have said yeah we're gonna we're investing in koalas and that would be you know the the a very simple way to frame it up would be like koalas alive koalas dead so that's one relation between life and death what I think becomes really fascinating is when you start to map all of the different organizations' health nationally, globally, locally, and people's health to the score of that koala. So you, 
you actually start to center it because a lot of the things are like offsets in the cloud, like the carbon offset goes somewhere, but what's the actual anchor point? Whereas the koalas are real um, or the Okavanga Delta is real. So if every organization in the continent of Africa has to give themselves a score in relation to their health of the Okavanga Delta, like what processes are they engaged in to be in healthy relation and what have they got back as well? That's the other part. Like it's not one way, this stuff. It's actually, you get heaps back from nature. You get heaps of knowledge, you get heaps of energy, you get heaps of like happiness and joy, which is something we've spoken about a lot, which is like in very few measurement systems around finance or around any of our outcome pieces. So the working out how you maybe map you know a, a set of patterns to go well here is the here's the koala um here's the koala wealth like and and we want to we want to work towards that as part of our nature fund and here are the 20 other you know indicator species that yes them being alive is better than them being dead because of xyz but what about our in real time yeah. and relation to them well, that's just it. It's it's being able to aggregate all those things together that's going to make something uh, uh, an instrument to be able to be used at a planetary scale. Because I don't know, the conflict that I can see is the conflict between local and global knowledges. You know, if we're operating in a global economy, you know, um, the idea of making offsets just for a koala, just for one species in one place, is um, it's not going to work. You know, that's why the carbon credit stuff works so well. And we have a lot of in, indigenous uh, groups and institutions who are working on, you know, really good schemes with the carbon credits to make sure royalties go back to community. And that works really important. Um, but you can see why it's good because the, I mean, the idea is, you know, it's in the air and the air goes everywhere, you know, and it's one substance CO2 here is the same as CO2 in the Sahara, you know, although we might have a bit more of it in this spot, you know, <clears throat> so what's the thing? What, what does it have? to look like um you know what are the data sets will we have to look at i don't know so if you're a day trader you know and you're like tracking you know you're tracking like oh what's the dow doing today and the minute platypus is up platypus <laughs> <laughs> oh, is down sell 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 now if you're a day trader you want to be able to track these things so um you know what's the index What's the mechanism? What are the tools we need to build? What are the, um, you know, what are the data sets where we feed into a mechanism like that, whereby people would be able to track things in real time? Or is that a whole separate thing? Well, if your day trader sells, right, like the other part, which would, I mean, if you can crack a frame that can capture as much of like life in it, hopefully part of what the day trader is considering is platypus stocks are down, sell because my daughter's not going to be happy. And my daughter like gets great joy from platypuses and platypuses are playful and taught my daughter to be naughty and platypuses helped inform turns out like the disruption like mentality of MIT media labs. That's just a platypus, like be a punk and mash stuff up. Like all the cut, copy, paste, like Bowie's music, that's platypus. All of the stuff when you're looking at, you know, different fusions and playing on postmodernism, that's platypus. Like, so you're, you're looking at all of our like creation from post like um, postmodernism or post creation that a lot of that's a disruptive influence that you could borrow from the learning of the platypus. So what's that worth? You know, when you're, when you're doing the stocks are down or are they down? Oh yeah, actually joy's up. Happiness is up. Kindness is up. Love's up. Um, the monetary value is down at the moment, um, but it's going to stay a bit lower, but geez, my family life's good.
that's it i just i just think the kind of system we want to look at is something that that provides a check and a balance you know provides a a real-time um, consequence, you know, for things going out of balance. You know, if one corporation like does something that has a massive impact on the system globally over here, and these things are interdependent, and we recognize, you know, this network of all of these indicator species, you know, um, around the planet, and that network gets disrupted, and therefore the the value of that, you know, increases or decreases as a result then there is a, you know, there's a consequence. There's a relational consequence going on. Uh, there's something happening there. There's a cause and effect relation that, um, you know, these things can no longer be externalities because they affect the market. <clears throat> yeah, it'd be nice to, um, you know, how we've been working on, like, you know, a, a treaty for... Um, for Australia for so long. And I think one of the things we get stuck in is like the Indigenous, non-Indigenous paradigm. So it's all like it's it's either exists or it doesn't exist. So it's either Australia sucks or Australia's awesome. Like, and there's no sort of gray space in between. But yeah, it wouldn't happen. One of the things that inspired me the most about being in New York was what Johnny Mayer did when he put all of those advisors and all of those designers and Johnny and um, and Doug and Jay, like the, the founders, what they did to give us that space was they said hey let's put indigenous knowledge at the front of the design queue and as a playground for like you know my daughter for so many of like different aboriginal and torres Strait people to come afterwards we've got a place to play internationally now like people can be like oh what, what's indigenous knowledge systems tell us you know about your worth and your value so maybe while we wait for australia to catch up maybe we help like bring the world together for a treaty with earth or for a treaty with nature and maybe the treaty with nature can start to build some indicators where, you know, there are some really good models like the B Corp model in fashion has got 5,000 organizations signed onto it. And that, you know, when you unpick it, it's just like all I've done is, is a lot of it sort of indigenous knowledge systems or just those healthy patterning. Um, it doesn't, you know, just selling your garments and what your profit is, is not enough to measure. So there's like five or six or seven things I've got to measure. And they're before or after, they're the lifestyle of the people in the, who you're working with, they're how long the garment lasts for, blah, blah, blah. So I think there's a, there is moves in different industries. And yeah, that could be a pretty fun legacy to be like, all right, well, Australia couldn't keep up, but we went and just helped get a treaty with the earth. Josie. Yeah, I was just, um, just on that. I think one of the key distinctions that we made last week in last week's um, lab yarn was the, we were talking about key indicator species, but there was also the idea of cultural indicator species. Um, and I think the semantics are pretty obvious around that, but the conceptual differences kind of would, should need to be outlined. Um, the key indicator species, I think we were, we were talking about from a biological perspective in like, in reference to say like energy yarns, sorry, energy flows, um, which I think this is Chelsea's area of expertise, so I might get it wrong, but um, the that they're situated within more trophically oriented or connected networks where it's it's the focus is on what eats what and how does one species serve as nutrition or energetic input for another. Um, but whereas mm. in, in a cultural indicator species, if we're if we're framing that within an indigenous knowledge context, we'd be looking more at um, who or how are we guided by our relational networks or the relational networks that exist within those 
environment um, or say where does dreaming um, and ceremony feature within those relationships or how you relate to one thing or another as well as um, what are our overall kinship responsibilities in that space so we know that mobs have um, different kinship relations with say platypus um, and koala and um, and all these different species across the landscape and that's how our kinship networks were generally sort of made up um, if I if I think about that in the context of the treaty yarns that, that we've been having, um, I came across uh, a webinar a little while back now, which is with uh, Leroy Little Bear, who's a respected um, elder and, and knowledge keeper within uh, at, in Turtle Island. Um, I think, well, no, I'm not even going to try and um, put forward um, the, the mobs in case they're, they're wrong, but um, I, I did meet him once. Yeah. Just to establish that relational link. Yeah. Yeah. Is he, is he I've Blackfoot? Met, him, met him. I think he's Blackfoot. Um, I don't know. But... I didn't see his feet, but hey. <laughs> Should I have a look? Um, but the, he, he designed this uh, thing called a Buffalo Treaty where local um, uh, organizations and stakeholders and um, and peoples within communities could, uh, could effectively sign onto. Uh, this treaty that people were having with buffalo and with the overall idea that buffalo would be reintroduced into a landscape where they had historically been for many 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 thousands of years um, but consequently due to um, colonization in that in those areas um, the buffalo were, were basically wiped out um, so there was a reintroduction idea um, which was uh, coming through that buffalo treaty where people would be able to reinvest uh, in getting buffalo back onto the landscape. And so if I if I think about this overall idea of value and what we're what we currently value within our current systems, some key questions which I think I'll, I'll just throw out there, but I, which I think are worth asking if we step back and sort of zoom out from these um, complex challenges, um, we need to kind of ask who who gets to define what value is. Um, or what is or isn't of value on the landscape um, and how has the notion of value determined? Um, is it by utility? Uh, is it by its usability? Um, is it about survival? Is it about relational complexity? Um, and, and in that regard, just going back to Jack's point where uh, I'm, I have to um, agree with him in that, in that the most um, robust idea that I've seen that exists within those ideas of how we define value is, is really within Indigenous knowledge context, because um, if, if we're talking about utility, um, it has that. If we're talking about usability, it has that. If we're talking about survival, um, it obviously has that, and that's evidenced by our, our prolonged um, and longitudinal um, presence on the landscape across many thousands of generations. Um, and is it about relational complexity? Of course it is, and we can find that within all of our cultural practices from burning country to um, ceremony um, and all these sorts of things. And well, here's I... where we have a problem, Joshy, because what we're seeking to do is monetize something. Yeah. When That's what we're looking at. That We know what the value of these things are, what the intrinsic value. We're seeking to monetize some aspect of that value in order to incentivize for the powerful in the world allowing the continued existence of these things yeah and at the end of the day within all of those systems cash rules and so what we really have to try and do is look at um 
how how we can uh, how we can um, popularize some of our concepts uh, that I've just mentioned there um, into more economic domains, and that's that's where that wrong way marriage kind of happens, where that Platters plus story becomes real. Yeah, is is where you're looking at um, these two very very contrasting, almost polar opposite um, ideas, which are sort of sitting with each other. And so that's the question that we ask when we apply that platypus um, thinking and that concept and that philosophy in that space is, is it going to produce something that's um, that's wrong way? And what's the implications mm. of that over time? Or is it going to produce something that's of, of use and benefit um, and we can use as a key indicator, cultural indicator species uh, within our uh, social and our economic landscape? Mm. Um, and what are the impacts of that over deep time? And not even wrong way married, like marriage, a lot of a lot of cases with that story, wrong way dory, like wrong way, wrong way in a lot of ways with varying degrees of consent too, depending on which story you look at. So it's it's in a lot of places coming out of the most horrendous story you can imagine. And you know, and a mother duck who, you know, being bereft of the um, the support of the women and aunties and, and and grannies who take care of these kind of reproductive rights of a human being and being banished out for it and actually, you know, being punished for that herself wrong way and then finishing out abandoned in the wilderness. And you know, she died. She died after giving birth to these these monstrosities that she shouldn't have to give birth to. Um you know, um, it, it, there were so many layers of horror in that story. And then these little entities, these orphaned children in the world who weren't allowed to connect for so, so many millennia, who had to drift about and find their own dreaming, find that value and worth, and then actually become an established and respected part of the kinship system, of the totemic system and the natural system, um, you know, over deep time. Um, that's the level of difficulty in the work we're trying to do. So I think it's an appropriate story, you know. Um, so culturally, that's a good indicator, that species, for doing the work on the qualitative side. But on the quantitative side, we, we just need to be able to measure something. We need to have something to measure. We need to have something we can snap off and break into units that are, um, you know, abstract units that are able to be bought and sold and traded and, and that there's some kind of mechanism of being able to track price and value. Not everybody agrees with me on this. Yeah, but I, that's I, uh, but that's what from from what I know about this system, I know that what has been created, you know, measurability, predictability, uh, all of these things are, are qualities that are needed if you want something to be traded, if you want something to be valued economically, and therefore have the right to exist. I wonder if um if in that there's uh um and chelsea uh, you take over i was just reading what you're writing in the chat room but um check out the the that whether it's um like i'm just not sure that what we're setting out to do is to help people make money as the as the core principle otherwise like i don't want to do it um you know so i i i i, I accept to an extent that that cash like is important, but it's not in the systems that we've had. So what we're looking at is how do we provide the reflection, the mirror, like a, a weave through of systems? How do we take indigenous knowledge systems 
How do we understand that we've inherited these patterns? How do we understand that money's a part of it? And then how do we measure a bunch of things that aren't measured and ideally measure them at the front end of the queue in parallel? So you're looking at that complexity. You're talking about Joshi or Tyson or Chelsea. And I think that's, I think we're, we can, we can show the value that is there. There can be a way that people can have wealth that isn't necessarily financial and that can be measured and valued. And there can be a way that people can have wealth that is healthier. And I think that is the prize of looking at a nature fund. If we ended up with the same people making trillions of dollars by just like investing in Okavanga Delta treaty point one or whatever, and lots of inequity and lots of indigenous knowledge systems, like not being accessed and it just being greenwashing. That's not the project I think we're working on with ethic and with this crew. And I don't think that's surprise. I think it has to be a different set of relations upfront in parallel that we're valuing in parallel to money um, for it to have a chance. Otherwise, yes, it'll just be everything else. Um, so I think we have to, that's where the hope has to be. If the, mm. you know, the, the mm. troublemaker or the platypus seeing through, that's where the the breakthrough is, is that we mm. we have to believe that there is there is more complexity possible for humanity in how we measure measure our economic wealth and that it can't just be cash as king. Like it has to be five or six queens alongside the king and aunties and uncles and like nephews and movement in back and forward. And so we don't have this stagnated playground mm. where we're separating each other. We're specializing into all these playgrounds and we're just like, we're so disassociated from even our human connection that we can't even find our way to our natural connection. Well, that's the story. That's the story. That's the dream. That's the that's the basis, and we're all on that. Now, now, what's the mechanism? Else, and what's the process for arriving at a mechanism? <laughs> I knew you were going to. Chelsea, you have the answer. It's like no, maybe no. Now, look, I can't get away from this. Like, you know, looking at the platypus pond. So, taking a step back. Um, from the platypus and then having looking at where the platypus exists so yeah looking into the pond when you look into the pond or into the body of water that um, everything around you is is mirrored and reflected but it's distorted so I think it's maybe looking at something where we're reflecting or inverting the current system but then distorting it and distorting it with these things that you're talking about jack so you know what is those um other uh relations and what are those other uh components what is the queen what is the second queen what is the third and fourth queen yeah um what are those things what do they look like and how do they then become a component of this bigger cash king economic uh, capitalist uh, monster and it's 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 almost like injecting the monster with a a, a serum that's going to sort of bring it back down and make it a little bit more controllable and and accessible to everyone and not just you know a small percentage in the world but what is I'd make, that i'd make the okavanga delta king that's what i'd do that's a move i'd make i'd go cash ain't king that is king and we answered to that and that's our board of directors and that's where our impact has to go back to and the health, like I'd try and make that king. Like if I was moving the pieces around the board, that'd be one thought experiment. Like, all right, cash ain't king, Okavanga Delta's king. Um, so knowledge goes there, library goes there and then assets go there, wealth go there, time goes there, attention goes there. Um, 
and here are our you know 100 kings that are critical or queens or aunties or uncles whatever we come up but that we've got to move the the playground on where we see the kings are and i think it's nature it's always been nature like that's what we've learned all our knowledge like all our intelligence all our ip goes into nature which comes back to that cloud piece that you brought up before chels like so if it's if all our energy goes to the king and the king dies then every generation we're just losing this like wasted energy that goes to the top of a mountain to the top of a ceo room to the top of something and then it's just like held onto for someone to make a smaller bit of money and there's no joy and all that's gone but if the if the kings and queens are Okavanga Delta or Bunya Mountain or different places and not for preservation, but for activation, um, for our direction, for response, for governance, for like, you know, and I think, Joshi, that's how I see the measurement piece. Like, I think there is a reasonably objective measurement piece to be like the health of the Okavanga Delta. That's our scorecard. Well, look, I, I see the 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 uh, financiers and economists, I see these as the priests and then the king is, you know, those who run the state and often the lines are blurred between these two, but we do need to, um, yeah, we do need to look at both and that's why we need good story. So not just the quant side, but the qual side, you know, um, and I've raised this before, um, like even even if it's, um, so like the French who owned the pension alias up north, they they were happy just to sit on that and never dig that up because uh, they're owning that lease, that was an asset. And they could borrow against that asset, just having that lease. And they were making heaps of just that, that, of being able to borrow against it and then um, speculate with, with the money that they, that they borrowed there. You know, it was making them money just owning the lease. What owning is that? Lease with, with bauxite in a world where people need aluminium increasingly. And, but eventually the Queensland government would not allow that to continue. Um, so we'd satisfied, you know, the, the finance side of things was satisfied in the priestly class, but in the, in the king, the king wasn't happy, you know, king wasn't happy with that because the king wanted development. So you could have the uh, mining company happy to leave the Okavango Delta alone and just leave that stuff in the ground and under the water and not do the fracking, but the government might want that development. It might want those 10 million people off that land jammed into the city so that they can provide a workforce of um, displaced cheap labor you know they might want the development they want, might want the roads the infrastructure the jobs the um you know jet fuel added to the economy kind of thing you know um so you have government also mm. to attack and that that's why i always that's why i showed you you fellas last week this stick here that that's the stick that we danced with when that uh when the decision was handed down for the native title when it was finally forced through and it was forced through because purely because they wanted to sell that uh, pension a lease and, and start doing the strip mining. You yeah, know, so gut, this, this is something I always say, and when, like you're always going to come back to it. You have to incentivize not just capital, but you have to incentivize um, the state and state power as well uh, to leave these things in the ground. It's two-prong. You've got to have two things, the priestly what class the, and what the What if kings. the robots have helped us out already with the with the government piece? So what if this rush, rush to automation has got a lot of governments going, oh, we're not sure what jobs are going to look like? Well, that's who's yeah. driving the trucks in the mines. There's robots now. So yeah. so, so where what are, what are governments going to do with all the people who are sitting around cities? Like, are they going to be happier and healthier or easier to govern if they're in nature? Or are they going to be happier and healthier and easier to govern if they're sitting in cities without jobs? They're not going to be easier to govern if they're healthy. 
there's no incentive to keep populations healthy in, in that model. And I think that's that the the problems become increasingly um, noticeable in those feudal systems where you start appointing things with more power or more um, agency or more legitimacy than than the other things within those spaces. Um, I really love that idea, Jack, um, of of appointing like a uh, what was it, like regality to to things on the landscape. Um, but I, I was when Tyson was talking as well. I kind of took me into a space where you realize that that's a that because it is a feudal system that is a game a gameable system as well. Mm. In that other people can then turn around and appoint other other regalities on other things that might have more economic benefit. So the you you might have people coming and then saying, well, if we can appoint this river. Um, as a king, then we can appoint this jet fuel over here as a king as well and, and start redirecting some of those things. And as we know, like um, kingdoms lead to, uh, and, and those feudal systems lead, uh, which stand above and stand to rule above other things within other spaces, particularly people and, and landscapes um, that can be the um, generator or initiator of wars and ongoing conflicts and violence in those spaces for contests to to rule over um, and dominate and um, overpower um, different people. That that's just the historical sort of pattern that I see. But um, if I um, bring that back into that um, that cultural indicator space or the cultural space, um, it, I guess the equivalent of that is that kinship system. And that was the, the real purpose and function of the kin kinship system was to um, assign um, custodial responsibilities to different um, species on the landscape and where they all, there would be no, perm uh, to use Tyson's language, the permanent hierarchies um, established. It was more of a contextual um, hierarchy so if if say one species was lacking or one species was endangered then um, during those ceremonial gatherings and, and these um, events uh, and these collective um, community procedures and processes you would you would establish some clear guidelines as to well you can't hunt that this season because we're this is short and we need to make sure that we're preserving that um, particular animal or that species or that plant on the landscape. Otherwise, um, this might be the, the implications for that. Um, the purpose of, yeah, that, that like I said, that's ultimately the purpose of kinship. And we sort of seen examples of that. We spoke about some of them last week around like the, the appointment or the assignment of human values and qualities to uh, rivers and landscapes. Um, we've seen examples of that. Uh, I think, Jack, you might have mentioned one, but there was that example coming from uh, New Zealand, um, Whanganui River, I think, um, might be wrong about that, but also um, that's the work that is, uh, there's ongoing work in that space in um, Western Australia along the Fitzroy River as well, um, where we're, we're looking at how do we, how do we protect these rivers? Um, humans are protected within human legal systems. Um, can we bring these um, these important waterways and these important um, sources of life on the landscape under that same legal jurisdiction so that they can be assigned value and they can be protected the way that we protect people as well. 
Um, the old fellow's bird up there about it, though, because they said he's not a human being. You can't, mm. you can't try and put that, project that onto this river, you know, legally. Or that's not our law. Our law doesn't say it's a human. It's mm. not human. And as a lot of these things seek to twist nature through abstract, uh, anthropomorphize things in the landscape in order to be able to even conceive that they might have intrinsic value. Uh, because of that human-centered design principle, you know, of everything. So, I mean, that's the trick. How do you not change the nature, not twist the nature, but actually change the, um, I guess, the uh, the interoperability of the protocols between the system, the economic system, and the um, and the natural system? You know, how do you change the protocols um, on the, the financial system side? Uh, in order to value value a river as a river as a sentient entity that doesn't have to become human for legal purposes yeah i think parallel to that you mentioned human-centered design and i was also thinking in the uh, in the way of human-centered value assignment um in that again it sort of comes back to utility and particularly economic utility so we're still not addressing the problem of how how we measure and how we assign economic value without compromising the cultural integrity of these things. Um, I noticed that throughout the week that Biosticks Alliance um, sort of put together, or they've been working on this thing behind the scenes for quite some time, um, this uh, cultural credits um, idea where, where I don't know the full um, way that it works or, or the processes that are involved, but maybe it's worth us um, linking in with them at some point just to see what their what their intentions are around that and how that might be uh, applicable in the context of uh, interpreting and analyzing um, metrics and and uh, measurabilities within economic or social spaces. Um, the I think in principle it sounds like a good idea, um, but at the end of the day, the economics is a transaction, and so. If you buy credits, um, how do you? What what can you do with those credits? Uh, what can you purchase? Um, and in that economic context, and I, I really I was I got taken to a really cool place when Jack was talking before about stocks and and measuring love, like love's up today, and and um, relationships are up today. And if those are economic units um, that we can use within an economic system to purchase things, to buy things, then how do you how do you develop? Um, some processes around that which are inclusive of purchasing and buying and transactions and these sorts of things because we can't escape the realities of the economic system but what we can do is we can change the units um, that we use to purchase things and to um, and to uh, and to interact within those economic spaces which is what it seems like fire sticks is doing but yeah jack i'd love to hear you talk more about that yeah well you have like the the, the like economics i think is um like there's there's capital exchange, which is trend, which is often transactional, but economics at its fundamental is like what we value. So we've had economics forever as as a species. We've been in every any time we're in relation with anything, there is economics. There is a movement of value and exchange, and that exchange can be time, knowledge, like energetic. It can be life, death, eating, moving, stars, energy, a laugh, like a puppet telling me a joke. Um, the so, so the, the, the beauty of the opportunity is that 
I think like in that film, The Big Short or the bloke that wrote that book about it or, you know, Dave Graeber, you put me on new ties, like just tears this apart in terms of what we've inherited, like with debt and when he talks about the first 100 pages of 5,000 years of debt, like just thinking about these patterns of these systems that we, we all think we're blocked out of. So at a bare minimum, like economics is all of our practice, full stop. That's not a Wall Street thing. We do it every day. It's, and and what, what, what it is is what we choose to do with our time. And, and then there's something extra within time, which is like our intentionality and our energy with that time, which is something which sort of adds this extra multiplication or factorial to it. It's like, all right, I'm going to bring this energy to you now, Josh, and I'm hoping that that energy is going to like bring our relation. So my time energy with you is actually, you know, got a different energy to what it would if I was just like lying on the floor and like eating Tim Tams or something. So the the time and then your energy and what you do with that time can have impact on relation with people. So I, what, what I, I think the, you know, moving through a few of the different elements that have come up. Um, I, I don't think every, every human being working in every single government system in everywhere around the world um, doesn't want humans to be healthy. So I, I, I challenge that a bit. I think there's some, some play, I think there's lots of decent people. I think we've got some crooked systems. I think a number of our systems, like, are definitely unhealthy. I think our measurement sucks. Like, it's. Oh, I just said the systems don't incentivize health. Big time. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's no incentive for no. a healthy population. And because our, measure, our measurement sucks. Like, our, our measurements of schools suck. It's so over measured. It's so, there's no joy index. There's no laughter. There's no happiness. There's no love. There's no time spent. And this, I think, is one of the big ones of what I think we're doing here is we're making a space for nature and it might be a nudge that opens up a river that runs. Like, So that's where I think it, it's got to have complexity, Joshy. Like, so definitely if you just appoint like the King Okavanga, like, and that's it, then that's totally just like a simplistic, like, you know, borrowing from a feudalistic playground. But we also, to Chelsea's point, we have to be able to distort the pathway to the future. So we we've got an we've got an entry point here. So we to list it to move it systemically, it has to be anchored to something that already exists. Otherwise, we're just inventing Mars, like, and that's still in relation to Earth, you know. So we're we've got a or inventing sorry life on Mars, human life on Mars. So the I think the bend here is like what would be our series of playgrounds within an ecosystem of, you know, when we're starting, for example, with Ethic with a nature fund that could be then a case study systemically that other people could start to move with. And it might be, um, you know, citizenship rights might not be perfect now, but it might be a pathway to um, nature rights being equal in 10 years' time legally. It might be the distorted river way. It might not be right, completely right way, but it might be a nudge if we've got a systemic approach to it. I think putting through government saying, yeah, we want the ministers for joy. We want this. We, we need to invest in some of the relations in human nature. Um, we need to have a joy indicator and everybody's like um, connected piece because we know that you're more likely to be joyful when you're not looking at a computer screen. Um, you know, your imagination might be more activated if you're looking at some mycelium patterns or whatever. So that'd be a couple of things which I'd think we'd be able to map like throughout different elements. So you start to build more of a systemic approach. And really what I think we're doing is trying to reclaim the space for nature as an anchor point in, in our operating systems of human beings. So we actually, we can go to where nature already draws us, which is this huge repository and, and storage of knowledge. That's the part which I think is huge, which, which we haven't like 
cracked yet, which Chell said, you know, about the cloud. We, we, we have. I know, you're sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we haven't cracked the translation for Cracked it, yeah, but like yeah. definitely cracked, you know, like in this idea. To that, turn this Frankenstein system into a platypus. Well, what, what's a, what's a, you know, what are all the libraries in the worth valued at? What are all the museums in the world valued at? What's the storage of all the art in the world valued at? And then what's the storage of I all I don't know, the... ask Baghdad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sorry, that was just, you know, that, that was a depressing thing to say. On That's the funny okay. side, did you like my did you like my my joke equation for um what I put in the chat there for calcula calculating your daily love stock price? Go for it, Jack. Because when you said the love stocks, anyway, so I reckon it's the number of rom com downloads on Netflix times chocolate sales divided by domestic violence emergency calls. Yeah, I don't, I, on any given I mean, day, and that's how you calculate the love. It's good, to have, it's good to have an offer. Yeah, we could work with that as a base. We, could, we yeah. I'm sure there's a few others that we could build on. It's, it's no, it's no uh, more or less arbitrary than how they calculate things like unemployment rates and stuff like that. So, you know, <laughs> the more I look into economic stuff, the more I see it's just like, uh, you know, weird magic tricks and kind of made up bits and pieces of arbitrary, you know, um, what was it last week we were looking at the, the little letters at the bottom of the page you put uh, CP um, in Latin you know all things being equal yeah Paribus <laughs> yeah. Paribus or whatever yeah and then the, la the last thought I have Joshy is that um, yeah I, I think this if it's limited to a hum to human culture and human culture within like small groups and then what we have separate to other cultural groups I think we're missing the point of human beings being a custodial species in relation to nature. And I think that's got to be the prize. So it's about our processes and what we can learn from our processes in our relationships with nature. So it's not asking any individual group like my mum to, to take all their paintings and then be like, all right, everybody in the world now owns all these paintings and our stories in these different ways. But could we learn from some processes of engagement that could create this beautiful worldview or this like amazing fractal mind of what my mum's got, or all this joy or all this way of moving? Yeah, there's heaps we could learn as to how to live, like how to live with some abundance in your mindset and imagination full and, um, and that could inform us systemically. So I think it's about the processes. I think if we, if we try and export culture, it won't work. It's... Um, I think it's moral. I think it's unpractical. I think it's impossible. But I think if we're looking about processes, um, and particularly if the prize is about human beings' long relationship with with nature, and how we can find ways to value and center that value in how finance moves around, in a way that's in more balance than what we currently have, I think we have a doorway into the house where all of the collective intelligence of humanity can come to the fore, not just people who are connected to indigenous. Um, histories and and patterns and bloodlines and culture like we all are and having that in us but people who are indigenous to to other land masses and maybe have lost that connection can become custodial um in their behavior you know and twenty thousand years from now we can be healthier as a species and i think that's that's got to be part of the prize for us is this is about humanity working out how we become better aligned with hey charles quick thought experiment as we start wrapping up um if we were to automate a process for tracking global systems health, what what data sets would would we use to sort of feed the AI uh, to get it done? 
what would be the data sets you think uh, would have to be constantly uh, taken over in there? Well, I, I can't go through the joyfulness. Um, I know I was doing the same, I'm, I'm, I'm way more productive when I'm more joyful. Um, production is down when I'm being a bitch. Um, in some areas. <laughs> maybe that's the um, stock. Maybe that's a stock exchange we need. <laughs> so, like I was talking before earlier, um, Ty, in the chat channel about that present absence and then the integrity of the the habitat. So, being the measurements and then looking at the ecosystem functionality as a whole. So, you know, what are those things, or what are the right things that are sustaining? Um, the functionality uh, and processes of that complete system that they would be the things of value um, so in the case of the delta you know it's it's potentially the 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 landscape and all those um, you know abiotic biotic um, yeah everything air water everything that's in that landscape is the index um, to to the to the processes so the landscape is and, and the health and functionality of them is the value, but that's then the value of those and how they're operating is the index. Does that make sense? Yep. So the same as um, what uh, Josh put in there is that, you know, the, 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 the laugh um, is the economic unit that measures joy and so is a smile. And I would say, so is a hug. Um, <laughs> and um so, you know, it's, it's looking at not so much the, the delta itself, but it's those influencing factors around the delta. Yeah? That's my little two cents. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember last, last week we ended up having this weird discussion coming off the back of the, um, how good a data set uh, the bird watchers, bird watchers data is and how trustworthy it is. Be just... Um, uh, just because of the ethical, the ethical behavior of bird watchers, like they, they really police themselves on whether or not they saw a bird. Like they never claim they saw a bird when they didn't, you know, because they have that that strong ethical structure. So it's a really good, reliable data data set that's always constantly updated and can be cross referenced, you know, with a few other things. Um, and the other thing that, is that was that was a fun idea. Yeah, it, with the with the with the bird watchers. Um, or, or what are they called? Twitters. Um, very, very cool. I, they're one of my favourite set of groups to hang with, I must admit. Um, <laughs> and one of the other things that they do have in their ties is uh, this, the rational stuff, the, so those relationships. So a lot of the time, if there's a species that comes in, um, yeah, say, for instance, you know, um, a brolga comes in, um, yeah, within probably two minutes, um, every bird person quark, quark, quark. In, in that location will know about that brolga coming in. So th there's that shared information as well. Unless there's obviously a competition. Yeah. Some that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as you bring competition in, then that's um, it's all ruined. And I guess that's that's what we're left with here in the end is trying to figure out how to make... Um, um, competitive and collaborative systems somehow compatible. What other what other protocols that can be developed to make these things be able to talk to each other at least? Um, yeah, which is I guess that's the guts of what we're doing. 
It's like getting a competitive system to somehow be able to talk to a um, collaborative system. And it might just be like an, a ceremony in to start, you know, just at the moment, there's five questions that you might ask as you're going into an investment fund. And maybe there's another five questions like a, as a processes that, that can at least start to open some sense of behavior there. You know, they might not be mind bogglingly complex, um, but the complexity might be in the knowledge of what, you know, so many of us have been handed on with the systems that have been passed on to of where to put our attention, which I, where I love that bird watchers peach is look up this they're looking up the sky all the time you know it's where their attention's going and it's just a different process for where your attention goes and i think that's what we can do is illuminate where to put attention um back forwards up down diagonal over your shoulder and that 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 in and of itself as a process will be hugely impactful i think on how money moves um It'd be cool if you saw in like, uh, you know, those like trading, those shows like uh, in the trading section in the news and stuff like that, where they, you know, got all the, you know, the Dow, the Dow's doing this and you know what I mean? Mm. It'd be cool if right under the Dow figures, there was also just, um, you know, pygmy whale numbers today. Yeah, Bro Brogas, Brogas have been dancing like to the sun. Yeah. I mean, they're in like- Brogas on the move, bros. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Brogas been dancing and joy is up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yep. love is on <laughs> feasting in the wetland. There, mm -hmm. lucky that rain come because they wouldn't have stopped for us. Those brolgas when they flew over. Mm -mm. All right, well, that was a weird place to get to with it all. I feel like it was different <laughs> from the last one when we said, Oh, we should have recorded that because we're going to forget all this. And, um, I don't know, I, I like what we remembered though. Yeah, I think uh, I think what we, we remembered like, it was fun. We're moving there. Yeah, sweet. We're we're moving in some direction. It's um, it's hard to tell which. Yeah, but we're getting somewhere. And the the work with uh, Johnny and Ethic and all the the mob over there in the US is um is really exciting. It's um, yeah, moving us in some very interesting directions. And you know, also towards um, uh, Jack's big relational network. Is Andy Zuckerberg um, metaverse of of real realness? Yeah, metaverse. What you mean? Yeah, just and go and kin. look at the go and look at the tree for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So hey, log off. Log oh, off. Log off. Go um, your imagination's <laughs> already in your head. <laughs> Going back to the platypus, there, um, Jack. Even like you know, have a think about that uh, emitting that uh, electro reception and that sixth sense. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's something that makes them really cool. And, you know, how, how, how does this emit as well? Yeah, Jack does that. I've seen him. Well, that's what we're all, I feel like that's what we're all doing here. Like, you know, <laughs> in terms of trying to grab the logic, like, and put it into form, like, we're trying to channel that sixth sense. Like, we're trying our best, you know, and we're intentionally going to spaces. And, um, yeah, it's why I love working with you all because the effort's always filled with joy. Like, we're always lifting each other up and the effort's there. You know, we're yeah, trying. Um, so... Yeah, I think yeah. the six senses with all of us. Same here, Agu. Same way. Last last thoughts, Josie. No, no, all good. Jack said it all. All right. That's him. Well, I follow you, Mom. That was uh that was fun. Have a great weekend, Gagus. Um, keep smiling. Yeah. Keep smiling. <laughs> <laughs>